Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. We're basically a hotel now. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 302, Disengage, comes to you now via something loaded in primary position in the bay. Meanwhile, Pete, uh, ready to engage is our Mandalorian Season 3 podcast. We have our final preview of the season up and ready to go for listeners. And uh, super excited that uh, this this upcoming week is the week when we have Mandalorian and Picard concurrent for the remaining run of both for both Ziz's third seasons is. So how's that for just synchronicity? Yes, it's the prime season for Fantastic Geek here. You got your Star Wars Saturdays. You got your Star Trek Sundays. For the next nine weeks, this entails season wrap podcast episodes for both. So make sure if you want to be involved in the conversation, you get us your feedback by early on each of those days. Saturdays for Star Wars Sunday for Star Trek. And Pete, the Fantastic Geek 10-year anniversary is right around the corner, beginning next week. Uh, And the question is, how would you, listeners, like to celebrate? But most immediately, Pete, let's head into our mission briefing. Two weeks ago, the Mariposa medical starship Ilios 12 jumps on a space trip to Sarnia Prime, where Jack Crusher's hail is greeted by static before two Fenris Rangers vessels warp from the surface, and he's told he's violated a quarantine zone. He doesn't have the Federation access codes, but he does have the moral authority that seldom comes with paperwork to help the thousands with Galarian fever who are also immunoresistant to bureaucracy. So inspection it is, where Jack opens crates and explains the fever is fatal at a rate of a life a minute. So they've already killed 10 civilians, but he's carrying Romulan ale for sterilization. He wouldn't bribe them with medical supplies though, and instead he has a crate of phaser rifles. Mon ami! They're basically saints. Uh, it indeed appears that uh, head uh, ranger here might be okay to deal with some of those phaser rifles and so forth. Um, they're going to have the opportunity to clear out some of the baddies while curing a pandemic, plus make some money along the way. Uh, just heroes everywhere. Dark heroes here. Uh, the head ranger gives that thumbs up to everything. They're in business. Uh, but as uh, the mystery man who was identified in Paramount Plus press items as Jack Crusher, and then since the first episode amended to just be a man named Jack ahead of an episode that names him as Jack Crusher definitively, I don't really know, Pete. All I know is this, the head ranger uh, out of earshot of Jack, I think we can all agree he's Jack, uh, reach out to the marked woman, uh, which, you know, if you've seen the trailers, you can probably start to put things together here. 
we cut back to the present day when uh, the, the marked woman's ship, uh, going to be named a little bit as the Shrike. Uh, my notes call it the scary ship. It's coming <laughs> after Picard, Riker, and Jack Crusher Jr. Um, Jack notes that the 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 oppressive force here. It's been it's been Romulans. It's been Klingons. Uh, Pete, my notes autocorrected to Romulans, Clintons, and Federations. So never said that Romulans were after him. He said the Fenris Rangers detailing what we saw in the flashback they it was klingons a day later and then three guys in starfleet uniforms well thusly corrected there uh, i'm just glad i guess it's not the Cl- the clintons rather the klingons um trust no one was the message uh picard of course wants to, to dialogue and strike a balance with these new friends uh, that said, the computer figures that there's a uh, 100% chance of destruction if there is a fight uh, or any any sort of outcome here. Um, with that, Pete, we get a little little clarification here as to what we can do in this portion of the story. Uh, Picard, Riker, we need to get Beverly's med pod to the shuttle, get it to the Titan, get some help, uh, and this all certainly could work. Aboard the Titan, Crash LaForge picks up a faint third signal in the nebula seven has uh, lieutenant Tavine scan to reveal strange energy signatures captain shaw gets an alert to his chair the third vessel is packing but they haven't entered federation space yet seven asks the forge how long it would take to reach admiral picard and captain Riker, but shaw belays commander hansen's order reminding them they are an exploratory vessel that will be outgunned if the other decides to engage them and he's not risking 500 souls for two relics who think a couple of brass medals make them golden boys I'm not clear how we're supposed to feel about Shaw in this portion of the episode, Pete. <laughs> um, maybe indeed uh, to address that issue, what happens next happens next. Shaw dismisses Seven from the bridge. I say dismissed. Good day. Uh, back to Crusher's ship. Uh, Jack is finally ready to listen to uh, to the captain, the admiral, the whatever. Um, a moment of levity I appreciated, by the way. I think for all of us, he'll always be Captain Kirk. Uh, he'll always be Captain Picard. They'll all be captains. Um, Jack steps away, and Riker is definitely, I mean, he's not coming out to say it, but he's definitely sensing that there is some f- French in him, also perhaps French with British roots or the kind of Frenchman who drinks Earl Grey tea and reads Shakespeare. Um, suddenly they're fired upon. Uh, suddenly the shuttle that was going to be their escape is gone as well. That means that they're trapped. Uh, And in a brief uh, and appreciated exterior shot, we see that the shuttle was the shuttle Savick, which is a cute moment. I know there's, you know, logs or whatever that say that Savick was the captain of the Titan at one point or something. Uh, Not quite canonical, but hey, the shuttle Savick, I see you. I appreciate you. After the title card here, we go to La Serena, where Raffi watches a news Hollow recapping the attack on the Starfleet recruitment building with the report that sources say Romulan dissident leader Larak Toluco is responsible for the 117 confirmed dead thus far. 
Raffi reaches out to her mysterious handler again, who tells her not to seek blame or anger after being unable to prevent the attack. He tells her Starfleet Command has terminated the investigation because the suspect has been ID'd, but Raffi smells a pawn in Toluco because the world-ending weapon was used on a mid-level target. She's unearthed a redacted statement from a Ferengi crime lord named Sneed that he brokered the sale of the stolen Daystrom tech between an anonymous seller and Toluco, and it doesn't add up. She wants to speak to Sneed, but her handler tells her to disengage lest she join the dead. She again requests an in-person meet, only to be denied, so she's on her own as she pounds the railing. I know that this Raffi story for this episode ultimately is a a, a landing spot for Worf and so forth. Uh, I must say the bit of detective work that Raffi is doing here, putting together the pieces in terms of Larak Toluco, where he is at in the world of baddies and so forth, that he's more a, more a buyer, not a bomber, and what was bombed isn't reflective of uh, the power of the weapon and so forth. It's, I would argue it's adding engagement to what is clearly the B-plot in this episode. Um, add to it, you know, that we have some uh, delightful hashtag the search for Sneed coming up in a bit. And uh, I have to say, Pete, I went from arms afolded to this storyline to uh, being a bit more receptive to it with that we head back to the titan where shaw is in the observation room uh, seven says that there is now proof of weapons fire happening with uh, picard and company in the nebula um and she she suggests that she didn't or she has asked if she had anything to do with helping picard and Riker leave um, she gives the impression of no, and in a lovely bit of writing, she actually doesn't deny it. She simply says that they could find the shuttle bay without her help. Uh, again, I really appreciate that distinction there. Not that she's incapable of lying, but she, again, doesn't lie. She just obfuscates the truth there. Um, and she asks Shaw, will he let two legends die? I'm going to assume the answer is no, seeing as how there's still eight episodes to go. <laughs> On the Alios, Jack proposes offering his pursuer, Riker and Picard, who's safeguarding uh, a transporter attempt by placing inhibitors around the bridge. Now, after an attempt to beam him out, they know they want Jack alive. Um, he throws, Jack does, a uh, Riker a plasma charge that he uses to take two baddies out who transport into the docking bay. Uh, the other ship starts to pull the Helios with a tractor beam, decreasing Beverly's life support to 14%. Riker wants to try a beam repulsor, but Jack says that that won't work and is ready to turn himself over when Riker detects the Titan swooping in between them to break the tractor beam. Shaw orders Picard and Riker beamed back aboard, but Tavine reports four life signs, and he orders them all brought aboard. The alien vessel lines the Titan up, but 
they can't get a lock on Picard and company until he phasers the transporter inhibitors and they beam them out to a pad where they're met by security with phasers. The way the Titan shows up is obviously triumphant. It's well done. I think that we are so used to Star Trek's past in terms of, you know, challenging model shots and, you know, physically compositing things and so forth. And kind of that, you know, the, the World War II naval battle background of the show in the 60s, certainly, that the idea to just take your digital models and have them really close to each other and zoop the Titan in there. Um, we're not used to it, but it's great. It's really, really great to see. Uh, we go back to Rafi. Uh, she's she's digging into that B-plot stuff here. Jay, the ex-husband, isn't happy that Rafi stopped by. She says, no, 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 she's with Starfleet now and she's clean. She uh, just needs an intro to Sneed, the broker. Broker is a fancy way to call somebody a gangster, by the way, Jay points out. Uh, he is worried that she is seeing webs, conspiracies, uh, rabbit holes, and so forth. Uh, and that this is the beginning for Rafi of yet another uh, downward spiral. As for Jay, he's made the choice to set aside addiction. He's chose his son and his art. Uh, that is enough. Uh, but Rafi is still chasing that thrill of the web, the conspiracy, and so forth. Uh, Jay will let her talk to Gabe or Sneed. That's Gabe the son, in case you've forgotten from a season or two ago. But not both. Which side will Rafi choose? I think it'll be Sneed because, you know, the B plot is better than no plot at all. And I think, too, what uh, Michelle Heard does a tremendous job in showing for the camera without needing to answer the question is the agony. Uh, I can have my ex-husband reach out to my son and be able to see my granddaughter in the flesh or I can try to do right by these people who were murdered and the more who are at risk there, that agony all over her face. As the alien ship circles the Titan, Tavine reports Crusher was beamed to sickbay, unconscious but stable. Seven suggests they warp away, but Shaw wants to know who they've engaged. Picard, Riker, and Jack are brought onto the bridge as Esmar reports they're being hailed, and all the captains in the room on the bridge there respond. But it's Captain Vatic um, who knows she's speaking to Liam Shaw and hints at his past with the psychological profile uh, on record uh, from Starfleet there. Picard, who she also knows is synthetic, demands to know what she wants, the bounty on Jack. Shaw notes that Starfleet does not negotiate with bounty hunters, uh, and she reminds Shaw that he is outside of the Federation currently. She lowers her shields, uh, and that allows them to scan, which, I mean, generally speaking, might not exactly be a Star Trek thing, but it works in the moment. She's got a unique alien ship and so forth. We'll roll with it. With uh, considerable arsenal, to including something that 
exploded in primary position in their main hold, which, okay, either subspace, tunneling, Daystrom, stolen tech, right? Or redone Genesis device. Um, seeing as how it's not resolved in this episode, I'm gonna I'm gonna give another option here, Pete. And you're probably right that it is the tunneling tech. However, it's so early in the season. You know, is it possible that they're gonna say it is technology from wow another another weirdo world? Like, hey, it's weird how these people seem to be confederated across the different you know alpha and beta quadrant alliances and so forth and if so pete that will feed the theory i will share in the theory segment but it's a theory that many people have going about the origin of these baddies but then the moment here uh vatic gives them one hour to hand crusher over uh that's your jack crusher by the way uh, and then throws the medical ship at the titan shields are up but it strikes them uh there's you know not inconsiderable damage as a result uh it is repeated that she threw a ship at them uh a great story moment here to it's one thing to go oh man they have a lot of space weapons but to actually throw a ship at another ship um a, a good story moment here something rarely seen in star trek we now understand the threat uh, and all eyes are on jack crusher jr seven reports that uh tore a part of the hull on deck 11 uh add to that uh laforge's uh you know father's influence there on how you can use physics to uh to weaponize or break another law um so all of that tracks for those characters nothing in the federation database about uh Vatic. but of course the fenris rangers have heard of her ship um and seven gives um shaw a pad on jack who meanwhile picard uh asks who he is and jack says that it doesn't matter um jack has never heard of a Vatic. And Riker tells him to think for himself and his mother when Shaw, Seven, and guards come in to arrest Jack, a.k.a. con man Jack Canby, John Carson, James Cole, and everybody's favorite, Jarless Carvel. Uh, Pete, I don't know if everywhere has Carvel ice cream, but just the notion that this con man... Also going to be conning you as he gives you a nice hearty scoop of, uh, I don't know, Rocky Road ice cream or something. Uh, Just... Forget that. Give me a fudgy the whale, okay, or a cookie puss. Matt, next month we got St. Patrick's Day coming up. You and I know from our childhoods, that's when you go and get your cookie opus. All I know is this, whatever name this man might be using, he's a con man, and the bounty hunter's claims are indeed valid. Seven also gets a dress down, having helped Riker and Picard cross the line. Uh, she helped get the Titan into a corner, uh, and uh, indeed this appears to be uh, borderline insubordination, Shaw notes. 
Uh, Seven leaves and Shaw now dresses down our Star Trek Picard. Uh, Shaw is ready to hand Jack Crusher Jr. over, especially since uh, when outside of Federation space, uh, the rules are clear. Priority uh, is on the lives of the crew. Uh, They're outgunned. There are no options. Indeed, Pete, Shaw really considering the technique of withdrawal something that Picard also thought that he had tried 23 to 35 years ago. uh, And it seems in both cases, it's not going to work. Picard thinks that there's more to this and wants to speak to Jack. Shaw says he can have the half hour before they give him up. In a turbo lift, Riker asks why Picard is dancing around Jack. Is he not seeing what he and we are seeing and hearing and done the math in the brig picard visits jack he asks about his mending mother who can't defend him he stands accused of organized crime on andoria actual terrorism on binar 3 and wanted for murder on andreas 5 but jack says that's unfair because the balsetti go into deep hibernation for seven cycles. So what have we done here? He's done some shady things, but he's not actually killed anybody who's really dead. Picard notes he was recently cited on Kimio, but Jack says that he was aiding rebels. He admits to stealing to buy medicine. And Picard says Beverly would never permit this, but Jack claims she taught and helped him. But when was the last time that Picard spoke to Beverly? Picard comes out and asks who Jack's father is, and Jack says he never had one. Picard believes that Jack deserves the justice of courts, but they only have, story clock says, 18 minutes left, and he leaves. Wow, great minds think alike. My notes read, story clock says 18 minutes. Look at that. Uh, back to Rafi after that rousing half revelation there. Um, Rafi's amidst more naughty folks. Uh, the question to us is she real high or fake high? Uh, either way, she approaches a bouncer. He tells her to move on, uh, but she reaffirms that this see- scene is about her seeing Sneed, who is expecting her. Uh, she enters with a chaperone. And Seed, Sneed sees her uh, as he smokes a hookah. Uh, indeed, Sneed likes the retro human things. Uh, he, he's got all this old stuff. It's valuable. Pete, some of it is lit so you can see it. Some of it perhaps underlit in this episode. A baseball, uh, a hand grenade. Those things I saw, I know one of the uh, people involved with the production had you know, behind the scenes photos, I'm assuming vetted and so forth. Uh, but she put it on Twitter in the last couple of days and there's, there's lots and lots of great details in there. The rules of acquisition comes to mind from the picture. Um, regardless, Sneed makes deals between people and he knows people, but he doesn't know Rafi. Uh, he knows that she was Starfleet and she says, uh, that that life, uh, in that life, it was hard to be high class, you know, lack of money and so forth. Uh, she drops some crystals. Uh, Pete, that's drops on the table. It's not a euphemism for some sort of 25th century drug use. Uh, she wants info about the portal tech. Sneed remembers hearing Toluco went underground. 
She says that she works for Toluco. Uh, so who is the baddie who's blaming Toluco? Sneed smells a sting uh, and says that she smells like Starfleet, maybe even Section 31. Is this Pete, our, our Section 31 show moment here? Uh, he offers her some of the space drugs. Do the drugs and prove you're a freelancer. She takes the, the hit. It's a game hit from the TNG episode, The Game. And after a moment, uh, she still says that she works for Toluco. He's impressed that an old addict is working uh, Addict is working so hard. And by the way, you don't work for Toluco because here's Toluco's head in a, just a really, really nice reveal. Uh, she's trapped, but someone in long camera shots uh, is there to save the day. It's like the way of the warrior. And we also get some Klingon music. So I, I, I can't imagine who it is. Yes. Uh, after Toluco's severed head is shown off there, uh, Sneed goes to take the gems. She stabs his hand and Worf enters the chat with his sword through a guard's back. Raffi hazily watches Worf cut through the rest and decapitate Sneed. See that? I see you. Star Trek Picard writer's room. What comes around goes around. Uh, before Worf reminds Raffi, he told her to back off as he carries her away. Back to the Titan. The clock is still counting down. Picard enters the bridge, wanting to discuss with Shaw. Shaw doesn't see the need to fight for Jack. It's an easy handoff. Um, and, and pardon me, it's easy to handcuff yourself. Uh, and all your sympathies to the speechless woman in a med pod, which is a great line and a great point. And frankly, Pete, a great reminder in this episode where I think we all, on first view, we can all see which way the wind is blowing, but it's not the end of the episode. It's not the time for that reveal. The point is an excellent one that we actually don't have the truth with the capital T. We just have the want that we have for story's sake. And you know, Shaw doing the dirty work here to keep the story stoked and not get us to the end too quickly. 15 minutes remaining here. Jack conceals a device in the brig and asks the security officer what level the power of the force field is, which he's obligated to do through some kind of space Geneva convention. Uh, he then takes that information and uses it to override it make a hole, headbutt the officer, and run. Riker, meanwhile, goes to check on Beverly in medical, and the doctor tells him that she'll be all right, but she's heavily sedated. He grabs a hypo and administers it, despite the warning that she needs her rest. Taking us back to the bridge, where Picard urges Shaw to try to talk Vatic down, but she hails them to remind them how long they have left and tell them all about her ship, the aforementioned by Matt, but here mentioned for the first time, the Shrike, named for an earther bird that kills surgically. And she promises to peck away at them if they delay or attempt to escape. Shaw wants to turn Jack over, but the bridge discovers he's on the run. He locks the ship down, and Seven, though she's been relieved of duty, 
orders a tactical team to the shuttle bay and says she'll secure the transporters where she and Jack draw on each other. And she informs the bridge she found Jack uh, and Shaw may even give her her job back. There are great mountains to climb this episode. Paramount mountains, perhaps. Uh, I do like that across two episodes, we're slowly starting to see that maybe, just maybe, uh, Seven and Shaw have a mom and dad relationship. No, I don't mean like that. I just mean in terms of bicker, 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 but not, I don't know, none of it really sticking. Um, this notion that she's been dismissed, but now has done a good thing. And maybe, you know, like there's all of that. That's just a really interesting, you know, it's an interesting layer to a relationship that might not need the layer, but is getting it anyway and adding to the richness of the story uh, and so forth. Bottom line now being that uh, Esmar, the, the bridge officer, is asked to hand over transporter control back to Jack, let him beam over, save the day and so forth. Um, but meanwhile on the bridge, it's Riker and it's Beverly. She and Picard share a look as strings play. There's longing and regret and time misspent in the acting, in the camera choices, in the music. Uh, and as she looks at him, Picard closes his eyes, letting the truth that we have all had in our hearts wash over him. Uh, and uh, Picard says, instead, let's move to lockdown because he's saving his son. Do you remember all those years ago when uh, Beverly looked at Picard before uh, her son went on the Enterprise D bridge because Pepperidge Farms remembers. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Pete, I know this. Shaw is ready to fight and fly, uh, and all of this that might happen is on Picard. Picard calls over to the Shrike. Their answer, you know, to the question of who you're going to hand over and so forth is engage, uh, and indeed they fire and fly. I, I like the 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 physical geography here that the that the titan kind of can can move i don't know move in kind of like the one o'clock two o'clock area and quickly get past the strike giving it make meaning the strike has to turn around and so forth like it's just it's a well it's i a think well... it's such an overmatch too and vatic who cackles here as she orders them followed into the nebula the the overconfidence that she's got them that incoming threat analysis pete means it's time to talk about some of our baddies let's start with the the considerable powers of the shrike yeah the ship here with really evocative uh, little pinchers there towards the bridge deflector area that uh, we'll talk a little bit more about in theories. Um, it's a little hard not to see the um, the clone ship from Nemesis, right? Billions of weapons. It has subspace this and isolytic that all right it's got 
really sophisticated and and a lot of armament. What I took a little bit past that is this idea that Seven talks about that they've heard whispers of this ship with every weapon known imaginable and then scan one they don't know about. Yeah, I mean, as we've discussed in past podcasts, I think there's only so many ways to design a baddie Star Trek ship that doesn't look like a Starfleet ship and also is not a sphere or a cube uh, to add these kind of insectoid um, aspects to it. Whether that ties into what we're going to talk about in theories or not, I think, you know, Star Trek ships looks like Star Trek ships, so this needs to be something very, very different. Uh, Story-wise, I do appreciate... I mean, you want to say, oh, man, it's yet another super-powered ship that our heroes can't possibly defeat head-to-heads. They need to use courage and brains and teamwork. Uh, I'm all for that. I think story-wise as well, the fact that the Titan is a super-awesome new refit, new ship, great, but also to have it hammered home at the beginning of the episode... It's a standard Starfleet ship. It's there for exploration and defense. And occasionally you might need to get into a little bit of a fight, but it's Starfleet. Worst comes to worst, you send a subspace thing and more people show up. Or you say, I just sent a subspace message so more people will show up. So therefore we don't need to fight. We can have a dialogue instead of fighting. All of that is in line with this is not a Starfleet war vessel here. Um, and then, of course, the fact that it's the nebula, they can't communicate. They're outside Federation space, the help is not easily gotten, and so forth. The power differential makes even more sense, and I think it's, uh, you know, to the obvious benefit of the story. Vatic here, played by Amanda Plummer, the daughter of Christopher Plummer, who played a big Klingon bad guy in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and at times I can hear her now deceased father coming through her in this role. Um, The idea of her being the marked woman and whatever the makeup is on her face and, you know, cue the dark orangey lighting on a alien vessel bridge that that is star trek though um and what we'll learn about her but you know between her uh you know complete and total knowledge of shaw of picard seemingly of everything that's going on and then this overpowered ship really interested to see what her whole story is we also have sneed as a B-plot bad guy here, great to see, uh, you know, kind of loathsome Ferengi. Great to see the the character affect of Love's exotic human stuff. Um, great to see that we only have Sneed for the one episode on account of his head falling off and so forth. Uh, kind of a win-win-win one episode baddie. Uh, a Ferengi that gets high on his own supply. Clearly he violated some of the rules of acquisition there and he paid for it most dearly. Pete, let's set our long range sensors on some theories and let's get to the biggie. Let's get to the one that I think is, is, 
perhaps dividing the fandom and one in which I would like us to offer some some guidance to the fandom here. Let's do some math, Pete. Ed Spielers has said to Variety that he's playing a 23-year-old. He is 34 years old. (laughs) 36 years ago, approximately, in the show's chronology was the episode The Naked Now, where Picard and Beverly had, shall we say, motive and opportunity on account of, you know, being space drunk. 35 years ago in the show's chronology, Beverly was gone for a whole season. These are both immutable facts that exist very clearly in the Star Trek, uh, Star Trek timeline. So was Spielers telling a fib, a la Andrew Garfield, says he's not in Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, or has the show ignored the the this obvious place in which to place a 30-something character and has the show instead shoehorned in an age that is simply conveniently post-nemesis? I think it's a mixture of the two. I do not think, and I kind of hope, they don't make this uh, conception post-nemesis and then Beverly cut everybody off. Um, It kind of feels melodramatic. And given the fan that is Terry Madalas, and the number of references he's deployed and may additionally be going for with some of the other stuff we're going to talk about. Um, he's informed. He's, he's somebody that knows. So I really hope that's the case. But then again, he was part of this show running group that used an actor from Voyager to come back and play somebody completely different that they could have connected easily to Voyager. I agree. I'll also counter, this is also the same production, uh, you know, and whatnot that reached for Gary seven and Wesley and, and, and all of that. So you're right. It, look, many people are like, but Spieler said he's 23. Okay. I propose he's either wrong or lying. Who Simple doesn't want to be 23 again? Right. Um, and even when Variety says, but pardon me, aren't you? Th- how old are you? I am 34. Like, I almost feel like he is, def- he has been told to deflect. Not that most, not that many Star Trek fans can't do the season one, season two TNG math here. But if they're just as Star Trek Inc. is trying to, pro- was trying to protect the Jack Crusher name and then somehow PR didn't talk to creative. And again, he was Jack Crusher and press stuff for 10 days and they removed it for five days and then this episode he's jack crusher like whatever um i will i will be disappointed in the show in terms of their own i don't know internal timeline here if it's just like yeah after nemesis picard and beverly did what one does and um when she got pregnant she just disappeared completely from everybody's lives after seven seasons of seven seasons and four movies I, i must confess i don't remember how long into the chronology the four movies were but probably another six years or so but again just the hole is right it's right there it's right there to say where did she go for season two we know gates mcfadden was dismissed from the show because she was advocating for her character and for sensible things and the powers that be didn't like that so they got rid of gates mcfadden within the show she goes to starfleet medical for a year that was to explain the fact they fired a woman from the show that already had another woman quit and they had a woman problem in the early seasons. It's right there. It's right there. Pete also right there from the first season. Okay. Who could these baddies be? 
we've been dancing around it a little bit. I'd like to whoa, propose. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, let's pump the brakes before we get to that. Let me let me talk about Jack here. Okay, keep it on Jack. Absolutely. Are French sayings and British accents hereditary? Character affects are hereditary in drama. I hear you with the Mona Me. I hear you with the British and, accent. And Riker with why will you not say the thing we are are you not seeing like that was the only moment that was poorly written in this episode why do you not see what i see or are do you see see it, it was a little much i just wish there was a more eloquent way in which they can address that the um, turbo lift discussion rather than than doing that um it can, felt can i fight for the line two on the nose go go ahead you may try okay i think within the creation of an episode for an audience to watch there may be some like for example i'm thinking if i was watching this with my parents would they yeah and we watched the entire you know tng run as it as it you know was in broadcast and so forth would they need a little bit of a nudge to start to get would they need a point from who is this mystery man oh beverly has like a secret kid okay that happens in stories would they need a nudge across this episode nudges across this episode to open up to the possibility that it is already gave us one earlier in the episode oh there's just something familiar about them and and we did it twice in a second scene you know i i guess they thought like if they had uh, a rooster effect on the Titan and every time they brought up Jack, it would crow that it would be too biblical. Um, here's another in-universe thing. Excuse is what my brain wants to say, even though I really, I, I kind of stand by it. But in a Star Trek universe where, you know, intimacy is less a big deal, you know, to be intimate with someone, consensually, not a big deal in Star Trek and so forth. Ask Jim Kirk, am I right? Um, but just, I could imagine that the family of, you know, the Enterprise senior staff maybe privately have been like, hey, did you ever think there was maybe something? No, shh, that's, Will, let's not talk about that. That's not appropriate, you know, to talk about the captain and the doctor that way. Oh, okay, fine. But to kind of be like, Jean-Luc, we're seeing all of this. We've wondered about this you know it's time to be honest with yourself oh high and mighty captain who, who 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 can't let people in to a certain degree and so forth i i feel like it tracks character wise internally in addition to whatever information they, they might want to be continuing to to get the audience ready for i need to see it play out but you know ever since we first saw spielers Matt, it feels like less than a month ago <laughs> it was the first time they acknowledged he's on this show. Who is he playing? He's on the poster in several incarnations between Beverly and Picard. It just felt telecast. I, I wish they were somehow able to downplay that. It, it seems painfully obvious. It didn't feel like a twist. I'll tell you what, though, for for all of that, the moment of Beverly's arrival fairly helped out of the turbo lift by 
Murray, uh, Riker, and and then the moment there that made me well up. So you know, what what are we here for? We're we're here for the art, and they hit us with that. Just wish they'd kept the lid on that secret. But Matt, you teased, but maybe bigger, the conspiracy. Indeed, I know that among others, Spider Ham Lincoln on Twitter uh, has noted the Shrike's design and that kind of the mouthpiece of the Shrike being similar to the mouthpiece of the bugs in that season one TNG episode conspiracy. You know, those brain parasites who sent out a message to their pals in a storyline that was never resolved, uh, as we've talked about before the notion of the baddies being way out there and they're going to come and they're going to be unstoppable and all that turned into the Borg because it was cheaper to build a cube. It was cheaper to put robot bits on a jumpsuit and paint it all black and, and so forth. Um, but if it is the conspiracy bugs, a, we get to resolve something from season one. We get it, it genuinely rooted in um, a shocking for the time episode b it also would explain why the baddies keep showing up with different faces and i would add to it pete the possibility that showing up with the baddies knowledge you know if uh if vatic or somebody in the conspiracy bug network was starfleet intelligence and so forth indeed i would propose pete we're going to be we may see something borg like if these are the conspiracy bugs in that you know once one knows everyone in the insert other word for collective everyone in the hive knows um and thus there's the ability to know the psychological uh profile as part of shaw's official uh you know docket and to know picard's background and all of that because it's a conspiracy right the idea of these changing pursuers the fenris rangers the klingons starfleet guys coming after jack and that they had their resources i think all that tracks it would they go back to this storyline i mean of course they could um they've also referenced it on lower decks though and we know that they have these like showrunner roundtables where you know all right this is off limits because this show's claimed it or what have you is it big enough that one could do a joke on it and wait but wait season three of picard is going to be all about this you could certainly do that in what context would vatic as the marked woman that uh is identified by the Fenris Ranger that could be under the sway of the conspiracy bugs is is she the admiral in the chair that has all of them inside her hence the scars on her face and eventually Amanda Plummer is going to have a really cool effect where they phaser her head and she's a bug pinata well a, let me remind listeners, in case they don't know, that the conspiracy episode ended not just with the notion of um, the Lowell bugs being something that would crawl into your mouth and make your neck pulse and all of that, and that would take over your body, but that the, the Lowell bugs would go home to Mama Bug. Um, to answer your question, Pete, it, it, look, if it's going to be anybody, 
why not her? I mean, why not have her as the villain and so forth? Her be the seasoned villain as opposed to surprise. It's actually, let's see, an admiral. Because uh, I think we've had evil admirals before. <laughs> I would say, too, look, there was a lot when I was eight years old. There was a lot about the conspiracy episode that was shocking and gross. Uh, and I think that even to adult eyes, and I know that, you know, obviously season one had much more gene involvement than subsequent seasons, but the notion of like the baddies are in Starfleet command. Okay, fine. It's an alien doohickey or it's an alien conspiracy. That kind of means it's not actually that Gene Roddenberry's Starfleet ha has gone rotten. But again, just the notion of, you know, the, the baddies are inside the house already was a bit shocking at the time, less so now. Um, in fact, if anything, the notion that kind of these evil folks are among us uh, might play better now. Um, but yeah, the idea that she's the mama bug and that they all come home to roost in her, that sort of thing, and that would give us the opportunity of Picard and Riker phasering one of them again, now with better effects, now with better makeup. Yeah, I'd like to plant my flag and say, I think I know how episode nine or ten ends. A Shrike also being noted here by the Elios computer that it doesn't match any known vessel. Okay, in-universe, never been seen before. And the database has nothing, but could also fit within that explanation. Um. So yeah, let's let's see how this all plays out. Whether these are the conspiracy aliens or not, the question still remains, what do they want with Jack? Oh yeah, I guess that is a story thing. Um maybe maybe Jack has sold weapons to the people who are fighting the conspiracy bugs. Um can I propose maybe possibly it just goes unresolved like maybe jack is just the conduit with which we bring together the seasoned villain and our heroes um and that kind of gets lost in the soup um beyond that i don't know what are your thoughts why why would they want lowly jack selling stuff to freedom fighters and so forth have him and beverly discovered this secret and hence the trust no one aspect of her message that she knows the aliens have co-opted the highest levels and she can only reach out to the one person she swore she'd never reach out to. Uh, that's a really heads up prediction there. Uh, I really, really like it. That would also give us, you know, as we approach the one third mark of the season, that would give us the opportunity for the mystery thus far to be explained and all of that. Uh, let me also remind listeners, Pete, that at least in the conspiracy episode, proof of having proof of the bug being in your brain was that there was a little, what would you call that? A little dangly appendage at the bottom of your neck, like a little, little pinky sized ponytail sticking out. So let's keep an eye out for that too in subsequent episodes. Does does the camera linger for a moment on, you know, do you remember anonymous hall guy who the the camera lingered on when Seven had Riker and Picard come on board? Do we see him, you know, coming out of the sonic shower and there's a the camera notices that there's a little dangly thing at the base of his neck and so forth. Um just keep an eye out for it, folks. That's all I'll say. 
what about two when somebody got phasered and there was a secondary burn? Yes, it's been noted. And I have to admit, have I gone back? Have I gone back and, and do I have a, have I gone back? Yes. Do I have a definitive feeling as to whether the, the ash left over from, you know, when Beverly close quarter phasered the one guy, um, can I say for sure there were two ash prints in the, in the, uh, on the ground that day? No, but I've, I, I know that that's out there. Um, and I think the fact that Riker, the fact that we saw it in action and then Riker was like, look, here's at boy, that's weird looking Ash there. Isn't that weird? Hey, let's stick a story pin in that. Um, I really, really think it does strengthen the notion, you know, again, of all the things that you can make this season about, you're not beholden to making it a sequel to something from TNG, but all the things you could reach to, how about the major story arc to drive who knows how long that was the conspiracy bugs that they abandoned that then again became the Borg, which had elements in season two and obviously three and four and other times we met the Borg and Hugh and like they, they, they hoped for that at one point out of the bugs. Why not go back to that again? The B plot with Raffi and the fallout from this recruitment center uh, attack, which she thinks is really but a test fire for a larger event and clearly connected to the Vatic plot. I mean, it sure better be. Uh, otherwise, it's just a time waster to bring Worf into things. Um, so yeah, the the notion that the two are not connected um, is a notion that you can barely kind of reflect upon here. Um, so again, I'd be surprised if that's not the case. I would also add to it on a different topic. I'm surprised that in this episode, Shaw has kind of moved from just being like a temporary um, antagonist for the story to maybe we're starting to see an appealing character arc here. Maybe we start to grow to like the guy. He does choose to save the two golden boys. He does choose, you know, to, 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 to boldly go outside of Federation space to save the day. Here he is on the front line for what may be, I mean, clearly is the season long threat, maybe the conspiracy bugs and so forth. Indeed, Pete, let me go one further is our proposed Captain Seven of the Titan spinoff. Is it maybe potentially, are they setting up something that's more cut from the discovery cloth where Captain Shaw can lead the new show's ship initially? That's not to say that, you know, uh, that Jerry Ryan wouldn't have the, 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 the top billing there, but are we maybe setting up the Titan with Shaw and seven in the future? Maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, Todd Stashwick has been great in this role. Uh, you'd love to see that carryover. I wonder if maybe his arc is to go from these guys, everybody loved them, but they broke the rules and I follow the rules to ultimately breaking the rules himself. I mean, what happened in the waning moments of this ep episode, he gets rank pulled on him, but then, you know, Picard pats him on the shoulder. So, you know, we're, we're seeing the change already. I think further enriching him is this reference 
by Vatic to his official Starfleet psychological profile and whatever damage he seems to have suffered that uh, he might have been having a nice day before she got involved. Do you think we're going to get more of that? Like, do you think we're going to have a reveal like, yes, the Borg killed your parents or the Dominion War killed your parents or it's it's something with dead parents, right? Specific reason he does not like seven and by extension is cold towards Picard. I I think we're going to find out, oh, wow, you're a wolf uh, three, five, nine uh, survivor as well, huh? Just like, just like Jaco. So Pete, let's do a crew check here. We got Picard, Riker, Beverly, Worf. How long until we get Jordy? How long until we get Deanna? How long until we get Lore? Who I know is not part of the crew, but you know, Brent Spiner. And Pete, let's not lose track of how long until we get Tasha or whomever Denise Crosby is playing. How about over the next uh, eight episodes? <laughs> I would think that at the, at the pace we are going, I feel like obviously more Worf next week. I feel like next next week's what three oh three. I feel like they th- get one an episode here yeah. on. Okay, is is next week? Jordy is the following week. Deanna, but not before. Riker's like, oh, I haven't answered the space phone to my space wife and space daughter, and they've called three times, and I'm further in the space doghouse. And Pete, what if? the only person you could go to for help would be somebody that the conspiracy brain parasites wouldn't go to somebody with a positronic brain hashtag save us lore. Ooh, I do not want to root for lore. (laughs) Well, that's going to be a tough sell. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to let the writing and the performer convince me, but, you know, what have, what have we seen of, of lore? We've seen the creepy smile, uh, and then we've seen Jordy yelling at him. So, yeah, we're, we're automatically diametrically opposed to him. So, again, to, to have the change happen, that would be interesting. Um, Mariposa. Matt, the Ilios, a Mariposa medical vessel. This, of course, a rest, a uh, reference to season two and the clinic that uh, Dr. Teresa Ramirez, the future Mrs. Captain Rios, uh, had in Los Angeles. Um, I like the through line there of the butterfly clinic. Uh, showing transformation, showing uh, rejuvenation and so forth. Um, yeah, I suppose I, I don't know that we can connect those two very definitively other than through the writing room. Um, but Pete, I do want to go back to the crew just for one second here. How are we, how, how do you propose that we get Denise Crosby in this? Because I checked again, I kind of keep doubting myself. It has definitely been reported that she is in this season. So how are we going to get Denise Crosby? I've never heard that she herself is in it, and she did not get invited to the premiere. I have heard there is a reference to her. 
or maybe it was more like she is in it somehow. Um, I don't know. I guess time will tell on that. Any other theories, Pete? The Fenris Rangers vessels seem to warp from the surface. Um, I, yeah, I mean, look, there, there are occasionally in these two episodes, Pete, there have been visual moments that I don't love. Uh, I was discussing respectfully, but amongst, amongst Twitter friends, uh, earlier in the week, you know, kind of like, Hey, there's this, the bridge is so underlit, um, but it's so well designed. And I had said, I rem- I still have, I said on Twitter in replying to somebody, so it wasn't even a completely public, you know, it was, it was not hidden, but it wasn't a, you know, visible to everybody as part of a thread. I said, I even have saved to my desktop, which is true. I'm opening it now. I said that, that, that widescreen picture that Blass, you know, Dave Blass, the production designer had tweeted out a while ago where all the lights are on and it's beautiful. The next thing I know, I have a reply from Dave Blass saying, oh, this picture. And I was like, oh man, like on the one hand, I was not smack talking his work. I was smack talking the decision to light the bridge the way it is. Now, if that's so that you can turn on the lights later on or reveal it as yet another use or, you know, whatever you are lighting cinematography directorial decisions are, that's one thing relative to we have built a great bridge or we have set decorated a great sneed, you know, in uh, antechamber or whatever it might be. If, if people chose not choose not to let the camera linger on, the rules of acquisition or choose not to light it in a way that shows off the set. That's a different matter, but I guess same thing here. If there's kind of weird visuals where they warp, I mean, can you warp from the surface? I, I mean, engineering Matt says, I guess, um, you know, whatever it's the 25th century. It does strike me as a little unorthodox. Maybe it belies a slightly lazy moment of VFX. Maybe it, was a hard thought story decision that this is how fast responding ships will fastly respond. Um, But I guess time will tell. Are they hiding the conspiracy bugs in plain sight with the Shrike's appearance? And then this strange like noise it needs to make every time it's on screen to tell you, there's a bad ship here. <laughs> um, I know that we've had some great music in these two episodes. I know it's not the person uh, who did uh, the music for the first two seasons and so forth. Um, and let me put it this way. I didn't like it when... Jerry Goldsmith was using his motion picture Klingon theme in uh, was it First Contact, whichever the whichever the movie is where Worf shows up and it's like yes. Worf, you've been on Deep Space Nine. First, first Contact. Okay, yeah. I didn't like the use of it then because I f- I feel like Worf, while Klingon is not like a Klingon Empire kind of Klingon and so forth. Uh, they also used it here, and they also use it here, and I don't like the. I think the use here is less. You know, if you want to say, well, Jerry Goldsmith made the call, I say, I back up. It's Jerry Goldsmith. You want to say, well, the music choices here, we want to get as many like, hey, this is the scene where, where you do the motion picture thing. And then this is the scene where you do the first contact thing. And then this is the scene where you do the Klingon thing from, from motion picture. Like, 
I think maybe the the music again, while very ably done, I feel like maybe there's a slightly it's slightly heavy handed or it's slightly like, well, this is the music for all Klingons. Yeah, but Worf isn't like all the Klingons. He's the crossover Klingon. He's the he's our guy. He's not somebody who's like boo Federation, yay Klingons. He's the conflicted son of multiple families, the Klingon family, the Rojenkos on Earth, and like. So yeah, uh, music choices being made. If they're telling us that this is bad, the way V'ger was bad, that's a choice. I just think maybe it's not a super nuanced I don't choice. I think it's musical. I think it's a sound effect. Huh. Um, I had read it as music. I had I had experienced it as music, but I guess at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like lighting, like like set decoration, like music, even the sound effects are choices too. With that, let's open hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. We start Pete with our Twitter poll, uh, in which people could have voted for one slug. Why baddies? Conspiracy. And Pete, that got uh, 3.2%. Next was two swords for heads off action. That got 16.1%. Three muscles. Titan Ick Outing got uh, 12.9%. And then four hearts. True Love got 67.7%. Some replies on Twitter. JT Adkins. JTA is me. Jack is Picard's son. You had your world and I had mine, and I wanted him in mine. Three episodes from now, a Klingon will be about to stab Jack in the back, and Shatner's Kirk will suddenly appear out of the Nexus to take a blow, save his life. <laughs> it was fun. I would like to say, Pete, I know JT is saying it uh, out of humor. I mean, we have wondered. Let me this way. It's not impossible to have a Kirk-Nexus moment in these remaining eight episodes. Uh, next, we hear from James the Sagacious, Big Kiln on Twitter. Loved it. I hope they deliver on a great uh, arc for Shaw. The chain of command seems wishy-washy at times. Shaw seems to be rooting for uh, Jean-Luc and Seven uh, deep down inside. Why wouldn't he put them in the brig? Uh, Picard can give orders as a retired admiral. It all works in the end. I, I would agree. Those are blurry areas that I think the episode does not want us to ponder particularly. Uh, Gooner JCH on Twitter says, why the British, uh, oh, sorry, why is British accent genetic? Um, and actually Spider-Ham Lincoln replied and said, he developed a British accent after listening to all of his dad's ship's logs over the years, <laughs> which is not, I, I don't I think. You about the vineyard too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good questions. Good answers. How about that? We are from Jackie Wolf on Twitter. I came here specifically to say that Star Trek continues to break new ground with makeup and prosthetics. Absolutely love the Ferengi makeup update. It looks amazing. Uh, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983 says, love this episode. Worf is still the man. Great acting and writing across the board. We also have a great menacing villain. And all she did was sit in a chair, smoke and laugh. Uh, next, we hear from Ms. Myra. That's at Myra Carmel on Twitter. Uh, I loved it. I just don't really get why they didn't get a younger actor. He said in an interview that he's playing 23 and what have you. A bit strange, but they must have really liked him. Great episode, though. My crush of Worf still remains after all these years. Also, Amanda Plummer is a scary-ass baddie. Um, again, I think the jury is still out as to the age 23 thing. Yeah. And if I happen to be wrong, Pete, I will, I'll grant you this. 
he said up front he's playing somebody who's playing 23 and it's kind of weird so time will tell with all this and it's not believable uh next we hear from aria needs a spinoff at kclyle1 on twitter overall i loved it i had almost forgotten other tng characters were supposed to be in it I'm really curious where they're going with the Crusher story. Beverly wouldn't have just disappeared if she was pregnant. Totally out of character. Must be something else going on. But it was a great episode. Vatic seemed like a decent baddie. Can't wait to see how the other crew members are introduced. Seeing these fight scenes uh, compares to older shows. What a different compared to older shows. What a difference. Worf was fierce. Looking forward to more. May I, Matt, propose a connected theory? Sure conspiracy happens at the end of season one they let their friends know what happens the conspiracy bugs do beverly is out season two is this some attempt to square all of that wow so what she's been a conspiracy bug no 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 ever no, since? no no that the the event happened and then she went away and then she came back yeah but explain that to me further if not because she was replaced or because she got the 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 conspiracy parasites she didn't get the conspiracy parasites um she was told about them you know the 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 crew is is family and they would exchange that story amongst them hey you know this this had gone on uh not don't tell anybody that we don't tell anybody about the conspiracy bugs and she uh left the enterprise she was at starfleet medical maybe it was the whole idea you know jean-luc let her go so that she could make sure you know perhaps she developed a detection protocol for it or what have you with what they all went through and picard and Riker would have had to tell the higher ups right after you know the guy they torched who was you know got the big bugs and then the little bugs and all that i think that's one to keep an eye on again if the show says the the first hole in beverly's timeline was after the last movie i mean then you're not going back far enough it's, it's right there. It's right there, season two. Pete, last tweets come from the aforementioned Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 uh, Another excellent episode, some quick hits and theories. Captain Honey Bunny following Titan into the Mutara <laughs> Nebula. Vatic is a great villain, but I don't think she's the big bad calling the shots. Worf's intro with the Klingon music was delicious, a great scene. When Beverly was taken to the Titan sick bay, I was hoping we would meet uh, Chief Medical Officer Dr. Ree from the Titan series of books, a Velociraptor-esque being, but alas, that nonverbal look between Beverly and Picard truly spoke volumes. Shaw will give up uh, Beverly's kid, but not Picard's. I still love to hate this guy. Theory, <laughs> we see a resurrected lore in cahoots with the conspiracy parasites to conquer the Federation once and for all. That's good. Let's just pause one second. That's a way to bring lore in, all right? That's in line with lore's behavior as opposed to and eh, we're gonna turn him yes. into an anti-hero so Brent can like be on yeah, can Brent, play the robot. Retconning over into redeemed data brother, I I like less. I, I we want our lore and our spiner 
to be allowed to be openly bad, not appear bad, but be secretly good. Uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln says Beverly and Jack have been secretly tracking the bugs. Trust no one. That's why Vatic also a bug. Uh, what with her insectoid cronies aboard the bug-like Shrike. Uh, that's why they're after Jack. Uh, heck, even the show's dialogue literally mentions conspiracies. Uh, and he shares the screenshot there of uh, the accusation towards Rafi, the webs, conspiracies, and so forth. Uh, Pete, I believe Spider-Ham Lincoln's point being that this time the conspiracies are true. What info do you have from Facebook? What communiques, etc.? Lauren Cusrow writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. I just got caught up on this show, and so far I have not been disappointed. Episode two answered a couple of questions. Who is Jack Crusher Jr.? Who is Rafi's handler? And presented a few more, like who is this new villain and why do they have it in for Jack Jr.? Glad that Captain Shaw isn't just a one-dimensional a-hole he has uh potential to be a great foil for some of the other characters looking forward to more next generation crew members showing up along the way i think so say we all that's part of the part of the fun um and kind of shades of our mandalorian discussion yesterday when when do you when do you call back when do you move forward i think the most beloved pop culture right now is figuring out how to do both in a way that advances the new and brings back the old. And uh, I'm really hoping for Jordy next week to the email inbox. We go Pete, uh, this first email from Josefina who says, I just wanted to express how exciting it is to be commenting about a current show. Last September, I started watching star Trek discovery season one for the first time and needed an outlet to talk about everything. Star Trek. Found your podcast through my Audible subscription. Fast forward to present day. I finished Discovery with you guys all the way through. And Star Wars Andor, Obi-Wan, Mando, Boba Fett, Marvel's Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, Hawkeye, Black Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Indiana Jones. So naturally, I'm super excited to be emailing you in real time. My favorite Star Trek is Voyager. Captain Janeway is a boss. I'm also a U.S. Marine with one tour in Iraq. So I understand and enjoy the military structure Star Trek brings. So onto this episode, did you guys notice that every time Captain Vatic's ship, the Shrike, is shown, it sounds like the aliens from War of the Worlds? Uh, that same. Uh, there's the sound. Uh, hey, fair enough. Uh, same deep single note, jazzy trombone sound. Ha ha. Uh, it's hard to trust Jack Crusher because he's so good at being a con man, just like his character in Outlander. He's easy on the eyes, so I guess I'm doomed. Uh, I do like. <laughs> He is a handsome fellow. I think we can all agree with that. Yes. Um, and he curious, still has his hair. The, the, curious to see where this one goes with Dr. Crusher. I'm thrilled to know that the bloodlines of Picard's uh, don't end with Jean-Luc. Thank you for making my love for sci-fi conversations intriguing, even though they were one-sided. I don't have a Twitter account. Do you have any suggestions on what my username could be? Uh, and uh, with that, Jarvis Carvel. Take it now. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Pete, say it again one more time. Jarless Carvel. Perfect. Uh, Captain of the USS Fudgy the Whale. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I'll leave you off my last word about never trusting a Ferengi. But I will take your money and they'll take your head. So Pete, uh, super uh, honored to have uh, Josefina, who discovered us, what, 
last September and now has been on all these show journeys behind the scenes since then and now has reached out and uh, joined the podcast conversation. Yes, Josephine had actually made a comment uh, to our um, Mandalorian podcast post uh, from yesterday, the season three preview um, for uh, that episode. So, yes. Well, first off, uh, welcome aboard. Um, and secondly, thank you for your service. And uh, wow, certainly consuming our catalog quickly and uh, we will do everything we can to provide you with more and look forward to interacting with your twitter account uh pete we hear now from stacy who says hi matt and pete phew that was another intense episode i knew i was going to be constantly worried about rafi the conversation with her ex his you just have to choose attitude that is not how addiction works my dude and then making her choose between a possible reunion with her son and finding out who murdered hundreds of people what a self-righteous pain in the butt though he did try to warn rafi about sneed that jerk made her get high knowing full well he'd made her then wharf comes in one klingon cavalry to save her kapla amanda Plummer, wow is she good smoking an old school cigarette chewing up the scenery ha uh, having a spectacular ship and then she threw a ship at them i've got to say we may not have liked shaw initially but he ain't wrong at all in this episode Everything he says about what transpired is true. He has to relieve Seven of Duty, and his priority is the lives on his ship. I wouldn't call him uh, deciding to take Jack uh, and run that full 180 that some expected, but we did see that he has a heart. And that scene with the Titan breaks through the tractor beam. Freaking cool. Okay, uh, so as much as I have loved these first two episodes, I have a couple of nitpicks re-Jack's identity slash parentage. First, the actor's ages are relevant to the character. Actors play characters of different ages all the time. Second, his accent has nothing to do with who his father is. Accents aren't genetic, they're environmental. We sound like who we were raised around, not who our DNA comes from. I do get that shorthand for the viewers. He has a British accent, so obviously he's Jean-Luc's kid. And I appreciate that they walked, it back a little, uh, walked that back a little. Riker says, are you not seeing what I'm seeing? So he's talking about how Jack looks, not how he sounds. Anywho, little things like that just bug me. Otherwise, I'm here for all the intrigue and cannot wait to hear Beverly's explanation for everything. As always, looking forward to your thoughts. Pete, that from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. Well, I hope things don't bug Stacy too much. Pete, with that, look, we might call him Admiral Fred from the Netherlands, but to some of us, he'll always be a captain. Regardless, let's hear from Fred right now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 2. Wow, that was unexpected. Picard having a son? Is it really true? Well, Beverly didn't say it. It was non-verbal communication. But at least Jean-Luc thinks it's possible. Although I did say something about it in the last podcast, but I assumed that everybody thought about it, but it was a red herring, and now it proves it isn't. I thought that the turn of Captain Shaw was quite surprising after it was revealed that Jack is Picard's son. Almost out of character. Or was it Seven's speech about saving legends and becoming a hero? 
my idea of last podcast about Beverly experimenting with Jack Crusher's DNA and creating her own son with that was of course not right and down the drain. Was a bit unlikely anyhow, but okay. Rafi's whole story is still a little bit fuzzy to me. Of course, great to see Worf at the end, but I really wonder if he knows Rafi from something or that they really meet there for the first time. I would give the episode a little bit less than the previous one, B plus, A minus or something like that. But still, very good episode, very intriguing how this will go further. Okay, short and sweet this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, one of Fred's best points there was kind of questioning what is the Rafi and Worf connection. And I think that, I I think it's a question we're supposed to have. Uh, And... Look, I don't think Worf is not going to suddenly transport to the Bridge of the Titan in the first five minutes next week. That gives us the opportunity for Rafi to say, who are you? What are you doing? Oh, you're him? I thought you did this. And he could say, well, since you last saw me, I've done da 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 So there's all this, there's all this story room to, for him to explain to Rafi by, and the audience what he's been up to, uh, which I think is the very least that the character is owed. Well, Matt, we want to take a minute to thank everybody who heads to patreon.com slash fantastic geek to help us out with storage bandwidth, all the other costs associated with fantastic geek. Indeed. So proud to be listener supported, particularly as we enter this, this eight week uh, stretch ahead of us. Yes. Technically it's nine with the season wraps for Mandalorian and Picard. Although those require a little bit less uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But this this upcoming eight-week run of Mandalorian and Picard, two scripted shows that we love, two scripted shows that we're going to really dig on into, and two scripted shows worth, you know, what for this podcast has been almost 82 minutes at this point. Uh, all of that turns into storage needs and bandwidth needs and all that, and the fact that we are listener-supported and getting that help uh, by way of patreon.com slash fantastic geek. It is so, so appreciated. And indeed, Pete, let's keep the Star Trek and dare say, can I say it on a Star Trek podcast? The Star Wars conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on an existing social media network? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P I E T E R J K L R K E T E L A A R 12,781 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us on the Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Also, I want to remind people about the listener line. You can call and leave a voicemail or text 732-707-1815. Uh, it's not used as often. We don't mention it as often. Maybe us mentioning it more will lead to more communiques from there, particularly if, I don't know, Twitter has a meltdown. 732-707-1815. Uh, looking forward to hearing from people, however you want to communicate. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. Pete, exciting times ahead. Star Wars Saturdays, Star Trek Sundays for these next eight weeks. Can't wait to dig deeper into both shows, both third seasons, both beloved shiny-headed characters leading everything. It's weird, <laughs> but it's great. Uh, with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. 
I told you, do not engage. 